take your Bible, go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. The last two times that I've preached to you on Sunday night, this is where we've been in Hebrews chapter 10, and it's been for a specific reason. And uh, we began by talking about this passage and how the main theme is the writer of the book of Hebrews encouraging us to stir one another up. Stir one another up. In other words, I am to so uh, treat you in a way and talk to you and respond to you uh, and, 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 and exhort you in such a way that I'm going to stir you up. That, that I'm going to uh, be used by the Lord to help your spiritual temperature be higher than what it is right now. That's really the bottom line of what the Holy Spirit is saying in this passage. You are to be that for me. I'm to be that for you. Not because I'm the pastor, but because I'm a Christian. You're a Christian. And this command is to every believer that we are to be used by the Lord to stir, intentionally stir one another up, to help one another and help our spiritual flame be higher and hotter than what it typically would be. That, 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 that I am to become a better Christian because of what you are pouring into my life. And you are to become a better Christian because partly of what the Lord is using me to pour into your life. That we are to do this for one another. If I'm not doing this for you, and you're not doing this for me, and if we're not doing this for others, then I'm not being obedient as a believer to this command that He gives us. I have to ask myself, and I have to ask you tonight, the ones around you in your inner circle of people, yes, your family, yes, your friends, yes, co-workers, whoever it is, are they more on fire, more zealous for Christ are they a better Christian? Is their spiritual flame burning brighter and hotter in their life because of you stirring them up? That's the question in the text. That's the command. And, and so, again, I want us to be very crystal clear on what the text is saying. So look at it with me once again, because last week we talked about that there were two ways given in the passage that this plays out. And so we talked about one way last week, and I want to give you that second way tonight. So I want you to stay with me. Let's let the Lord have His way as He shows us from this passage of Scripture, from the Bible, from the truth of the text, what it means to stir one another up. How do we stir each other up? How do we provoke one another in good works and in greater love for Christ and for one another? Because that is exactly what is being said here. So notice with me, look in your Bible in verse 24. God says to us, let us consider one another to provoke or to stir one another up to love and to good works. Then he goes on to tell us how we do that. So last week 
We talked about the first way, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So he begins with a negative. He says, now, you want to stir somebody up? You want to stir fellow believers up? Don't forsake the gathering. Don't abandon the gathering. Don't forsake the corporate gathering. You be there. You be involved. You be engaged. You be prayed up. You get there early. You stay later. (laughs) Don't be one of these that slides in late and leaves before it ever ends. Stay. Be there. Be engaged. Be energetic. May I pause and ask you a question? This morning when you were at the house of God, how engaged were you? Or were you just there? Was it something you just checked off? How involved were you in the prayer time, in the corporate worship? Were you passive? Or were you energetic? Were you engaged? Were you involved? Were you singing? Were you contemplating prayerfully, prayerfully pondering the lyrics of the words that you were singing to Christ? Asking Him to help that be a part of your life. Uh, 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 Basking in His goodness and His glory. How were you treating that time? When you got there, did you go to your seat and just plop down? Or were you thinking before you even walked in the door, Lord, who can I encourage today? Lord, I hope so-and-so's here today. I want to encourage them. I want to speak truth to them. I want to see them. I want to provoke them. I want to challenge them. I want to stir them up. When you arrived, did you look around the auditorium and look for somebody who might be a, a, a first-time guest or maybe somebody that you didn't know so you would have an opportunity to go introduce yourself and actually get to know somebody new? How do you treat church? You see, ladies and gentlemen, hear me carefully. It's not just enough that you come and attend. If all you do is attend and you sit and you take in and take in and take in and take in and take in, and I would contend with you and I would dare say that most of the time if that's our attitude, if all we're doing is just coming and attending, then we're really not taking in all that God wants us to take in. I guarantee you that. But he says, when you gather, there's something I want you to be doing. Gathering for corporate worship and for corporate strengthening through the Word is not to be a passive engagement. It's to be active. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. So that's the negative. But then he gives the second thing. And that's what I want us to focus on tonight. Now, let's, let's lean in very carefully. Let's let the Lord talk. Not CP. Let Jesus talk. Let the text talk. Let God talk. Let's think about this now. So here's what he says. The negative. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now here's the positive. Here's the second thing. And he says, notice this, but exhorting exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ, the day of His return, as He takes us home. Basically, He's saying, and as you get closer and closer to the end of time, the need for this exhortation is even greater. And so He says, you want to stir each other up? You be in church. You show up. You be engaged. But then He says, don't just show up in church but you be encouraging to one another. Verbal encouragement. 
Verbal encouragement. Number one was corporate gathering. Number two, verbal encouragement. Exhort one another. This is exactly what it means. It means that you verbally, I verbally, to you, face-to-face, in person, not just at church, but in day-to-day life, I edify you. I verbally encourage you. I talk to you. Exhorting one another. Can I tell you tonight, dear friend, that God is not into hermit Christianity. And He never meant for us to be either. He intended for the local church, the local body of believers, to be lived in community with one another. Listen to Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12. through Two are better than one, God said, because they together, those two, have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he doesn't have another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Well, the answer is, they really can't. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken, not easily broken. Now, gang, we use that verse all the time, and we say, <laughs> an application of it, that the threefold cord is the church, the home, the Christian school. I've heard that for years and years and years and decades. But can I tell you, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that application, but in its immediate context, he is speaking about relationship. He's speaking about believers coming alongside one another and pouring verbal encouragement and exhortation into one another. And it goes deeper than just surface casual stuff like, oh, I like your dress, or I like your hairdo, or whatever, or hey, you look nice today. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. But, but, but that's just, that, that's not the, what he's talking about. He's talking about living out a depth in our relationship to one another. Going deeper, going under the surface, and actually intentionally pouring into the other. Pouring joy, pouring truth, pouring instruction, pouring accountability. Pouring mutual strength. Iron sharpens iron. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. He sharpens them. He makes them better. How does that happen? You see, every Christian is to be an iron man, an iron woman, sharpening one another, encouraging one another. Now that requires some things. It requires time. It requires that we actually get involved in people's lives. It, 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 it requires intentionality. It requires time. It requires listening, analyzing, taking in. It requires mutual accountability. It requires prayer. It requires time in the Word. It's life-on-life discipleship. That's what it is. This is how we disciple one another. I want to ask you a question. 
Think about the discipleship method of Jesus. How did Jesus disciple His disciples? How did Jesus develop His followers? Well, I want you to understand something. We talk about the public preaching ministry of Jesus. Sure, He did preach. He had a public ministry. Let me ask you a question. Did the disciples, was the majority of their time spent sitting under Jesus' sermons in public? Or was the majority of their time spent in a small group setting listening to Jesus as He poured into them and they poured into one another? And he asked them specific questions. And he got them to engage with him in responses and answers. What was the discipleship method of Jesus? It wasn't this large gathering. Again, I'm not opposed to the gathering. Jesus has commanded us to be a part of the gathering. But ladies and gentlemen, hear me carefully. If you want to model the discipleship method of Jesus... It's not that we need to go bigger. Mm -mm. We need to go smaller. We need to go more intentional. Jesus poured Himself into the twelve. He spent almost every waking moment with them. Listening, talking, evaluating, getting them involved, getting them engaged. He poured Himself into them. Life on life. And then he had three that he poured himself into. We call them the inner circle disciples. And those apostles, ladies and gentlemen, went on to change the world. They turned the world upside down. They had been, here it is, with Jesus. With Jesus. The Scripture says that they took note that these unlearned and ignorant men, that doesn't mean they were dumb, it means they were without formal education, that what the difference was, the difference maker, was that they had been with Jesus. Time spent with Jesus. Time with Jesus pouring into them life on life. And ladies and gentlemen, no wonder Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says that if you want to turn the world upside down, Timothy, if you want this to be perpetuated, then he, I've received from others, and that that I've received, I've given to you, and now the same you take and commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You pour it into one another. If you were to travel to a county in California called Tulare County, uh, it's, it's, it's there you would find the famous Sequoia National Park. The world-renowned sequoia trees. These giant sequoias, on average, the average height is between 175 and 280 feet. That's, that's pretty tall for a tree. Most of them are between 20 to 26 feet in diameter. They're the world's largest trees. Record trees have measured over 350 feet tall. It's estimated that the average age of these sequoias ranges from 800 to 1,000 years. Even some have been measured and estimated to have lived 2,500 years. The largest known sequoia 
uh, in volume uh, is, is known as the General Sherman tree. <laughs> it's a giant sequoia named after the famous Civil War general. What, what, uh, think about this. What do you think? What is it that enables these giant trees to withstand the torrential rain, the prolonged flooding, the fires, the gusting winds, the seismic earthquakes of California? I mean, after all, they experience all of those. One would assume that it's because these tall trees have such deep roots. That's how they're able to sustain themselves decade after decade, century after century. But the truth of the matter is that would be incorrect. You see, the root system of many of these sequoias is only about three feet deep. So what's their secret? The secret of the sequoia lies in their interlocking, intertwined, interwoven root system that provides stability and strength. You see, their root system grows out, not down. It, 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 it interconnects below the soil with the other sequoia trees, literally holding each other up. So when the floods come, when the rains come, when the threats come, when the earthquakes occur, these tall trees are able to last because they're literally being held upright and held strong by one another. They hold each other up. The trees grow very close together and are dependent on each other for nutrients as well. Only the sequoias have the strength and ability to support other sequoias you see, the sequoia trees are stronger together. What a beautiful picture of discipleship for us as Christians. The Christian faith was never meant to be lived in isolation, away from regular contact, away from mutual encouragement, away from mutual accountability, away from discipleship from other believers. God never intended the Christian life to be lived that way. Did you know that there are numerous ones that you and I are to be strategically and intentionally speaking truth and encouragement into on an ongoing basis? That I am to be pouring into somebody and several somebodies in my life. You are to be pouring strategically into somebody, giving them that mutual encouragement, exhorting them, encouraging them. So let's, let me give you three takeaways quickly. Number one, the enemy wants to keep you away from this habit of putting yourself in the local church setting and in encouraging one another and exhorting one another in this life-on-life -life accountability. Satan would love nothing more than to keep us away from that. He wants us to keep us out of church as much as possible. And if we do show up, He wants us to be disengaged. He wants us just to approach church like a checklist. He wants to keep us from life-on-life -life community. Through Sunday school, through growth groups, through Awana for the kids, through community groups, through life groups, small group Bible studies, accountability groups. And I'm going to go a step further and introduce something to you that we're going to be talking about in a great degree in the next several months 
but discipleship groups, D groups, D groups, where a handful of people, a handful of people per group, they read Scripture each week. They sit down. They share with what God has done in their life, what they learned that week. They, they share highs and lows. They share victories and struggles. They pray for one another. They, they, they ask each other the hard questions. That's a discipleship group. That's, that's what grew the disciples. That's what grows people in Christ is that kind of structure. I don't care what you call it, but that kind of pouring into one another. Every believer needs to be in one of these groups on an ongoing basis. A group small enough yet personal enough to provide spiritual growth through Bible study, mutual prayer support, and mutual accountability and encouragement. What keeps you from that kind of relationship? Are you willing? Has the Holy Spirit of God elicited anything inside of you while we've been talking about this? Number two, we get to know one another better around tables than we do in rows. We get to know one another better around tables than we do sitting in rows. I'm not discounting the rows, but I'm saying this to us, dear friend, if all we're involved in is the corporate gathering where we come in and plop and sit down in rows and we don't engage people, then we're shortchanging our own spiritual growth and the discipleship that we can pour into other people. You see, truth be told, most of us don't really get to know each other sitting in rows, but we do get to know each other around tables. Why is it that in the, in, in the ministry center upstairs that our classes have tables? Because we want people to engage with one another. And it, it, it happens more sitting, facing one another, talking, engaging with one another than it does with my back towards somebody else, them staring at the back of my head and me staring at the back of somebody else's head. I might wave at them. I might, you know, say, hey, have a good day. But that's it. There's no engagement. There's no mutual accountability. There's no prayer support. There's no life on life. But around tables, that's where it takes place at whether that's a table here at this ministry, a table on this property, or a table at a restaurant, or my dining room table. That's where life and life discipleship happens in a greater way. And then the third thought. Speaking truth and receiving truth is to be an ongoing mutual experience. And it's a two-way street. I'm speaking truth and pouring into someone, and someone is speaking truth to me and pouring into me. It's mutual. It's both ways. And that is to be ongoing throughout my entire Christian life. If I understand what Hebrews 10 has, uh, has, uh, is, is saying to you and I, and so much the more, he said. Don't stop doing this. Always be pouring into somebody. You always have somebody pouring into you. That's life-on-life life discipleship. So let me ask you a question. With whom are you right now currently in a disciple-making relationship? 
I'm not talking about who are your best buddies. No, no, no. With whom are you involved in a discipleship relationship right now? What two, what three, what one, what four are you pouring into? And they're pouring into you. And you're pouring into one another. I want you to prayerfully ponder that. And may God help us as we continue with this thought of what it means to stir one another up. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to begin to unpack this and flesh this out in our lives. And we'll thank You for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.